Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. All right, and a good Thursday morning to you. 7 o'clock right on the snout, Kevin Carius, along with the Duke of Delburn. Brandon Douglas here to take you through for the next four hours. We've got another jam-packed show with some great guests and our uh, weekly contributors, uh, plus our Thursday co-host coming up at uh, 8 o'clock will be none other than Oilers defenseman, the former defenseman, Ladislav Schmid, spent about seven years in Oilers silks and uh, now has made his uh, home in Edmonton, coached uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings last year, has a lot of things going on in his life with uh, family, young kids and everything like that. So uh, really lucky to have Ladislav Schmid and he is a piece of work. He's got a sense of humor like you haven't seen before. So uh, really looking forward to having him come in every Thursday from 8 to 10. Uh, on this show. Uh, 11 degrees in Edmonton, a few sprinkles on the way into work, so not like yesterday where it was a lot of fog, so still kids getting back to school, so keep an eye on them. Uh, the Duke of Delburn joins us now. Uh, how was day two for you and a guest now with the NFL back tonight? Fantasy frenzy. I mean, obviously yesterday was a big day because probably the last day of drafts, I would imagine, yesterday. So what's the reaction been and uh, how excited do you think all our listeners are to have NFL back starting tonight with Detroit at Kansas City taking on the defending champions? Well, if uh, if the listeners are anywhere near as excited as me, they're busting at the seams for it. I, I love NFL football. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to kick off this, like, peak of sports season of course with MLB playoffs right around the corner NFL season underway college football a couple weeks in next thing you know uh, p- teams are going to be retreating for uh, reporting for NHL training camps too it's it's we're kind of getting to that uh, that peak of the the calendar year where all four major uh, North American sports are on as well of course if you like uh, some English Premier League and stuff that's in the mix too so it's uh, it's the best time of the year right now and, and it all gets going tonight uh, Thursday night Chiefs Lions can't wait yeah we're gonna have Dave on Associated Press covering uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, boy, he's had his plate full in the last couple of days with what's going on down there. He's going to join us at 720. Uh, text line is open at one 401 And what's crazy is they come in overnight. It's hard to believe that, you know, I see some at 1230, 1240 in the morning coming in. Uh, Uh, One just right now. Uh, uh, Good morning, Kevin. Have a great show today. This is from the Stair Farmer. Uh, Northside Adams sent one in at uh, 6 o'clock again today. Uh, Last night, great to have sports radio back. That came in late again. Uh, This one at 12.38 a.m. from Colin. uh, Longtime fan, friend of the Beaumont crew. Glad to see you back on the air. Cheers. So, I mean, again, I can't say enough how much it blows me away that the the text line is just jammed like it is. Uh, just before we get to today's rundown, I guess, I wanted to see if uh, you knew a couple of things that happened today in, I guess, our industry. So way back in 1979, today, ESPN launched. So it's kind of neat that we, as a station at 1440 here, launched on Tuesday. In 1979, ESPN launched. And, I mean, that was the when cable television changed. I mean, that was when things started to get really uh, different on the sports landscape of what viewing habits were for, I guess, people in the United States. And then 
of course, it carried over into TSN. So I know you're a little bit younger, Brandon, but uh, what did you remember? I mean, I guess with you with watching TSN in the early days, but for me, ESPN, so I would have been about 12 or 13 years old when these guys launched. And of course, it was a big, big thing worldwide. Well, yeah, like uh, like you mentioned, I was uh, not quite around yet for the for the ESPN launch. But I think back to my youth and the impact a station like TSN had on on young kids like me growing up in Canada and that had a passion for sports and being able to get up in the morning and watch Sports Center for, you know, an hour before going to school, waiting on your uh, sisters to get ready or whatever the case before you get on the bus to, to take the walk across the yard over where the school bus would pick us up. Um, it, it was immense. And, and the commitment to do round the clock sports programming, it, it's crazy. That that's where it started all the way to now where there's each uh, major network has their own sports version of their own channel, whether you know be CBS, Fox, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They all have a sports branch yes. that that also is pretty much airing sports content around the clock, and it all got started with ESPN. And back in 1979, you know when they launched, ESPN was just growing. Not many people knew exactly where the future of the cable network sports station would go. They didn't have a lot of properties, obviously, because they were just starting out. They uh, kicked off at night. It would have been a, a late show, just basically uh, like a sports center, uh, you know, a, a, a sports package highlight show. Uh, it says uh, that I did the research last night on about 30,000 viewers turned in to witness the launch of ESPN. So, uh, And back then, of course, the big story in New York always at this time of the year is the U.S. Open tennis. So basically their top story for a little while was the U.S. Open uh, Chris Everett playing Billie Jean King, uh, which was kind of cool back then. So you think of how where they branched out and went to, it's quite amazing to see where they have come. Oh, yeah, and, and with the U.S. Open on here, of course, right now this week, and a couple of American females getting a chance to play in the, the finals. Um, they're going to play later today. Uh, I got that coming up in the top of the hour sports update. We'll fill everybody mm-hmm. in on that. But, yeah, the U.S. Open is such an iconic event and really unique that it lines up with, uh, with that ESPN launch. So also... On this day, and it's kind of a neat, and I know you're a big baseball guy, so back in 1998 is when Mark McGuire hit home run number 62, I believe, uh, to break the record set by Roger Maris in 1961. Uh, That was an epic summer uh, because Mark McGuire was battling it out with Sammy Sosa for the home run title. Now we know everything that happened after with all the the performance enhancing and the steroids and everything like that. But baseball let it go. Uh, Commissioner Bud Selig let it go. He wanted the ratings. He wanted uh, the excitement. He wanted people to watch baseball. And these two guys, especially McGuire, were jacking him out of the yard. And these guys were able to kind of lift baseball out of a bit of a doldrum because it was it wasn't that popular back in the in the mid nineties. It wasn't. It was it was on the tail end of you know. I think maybe even hockey in the United States might have been pushing baseball. But um, do you remember back then, uh, Duke, about uh, what was going on with that home run derby and the home run race? Uh, I was still very very young yeah. at that point in time, so it's uh, not in my memory, but. You, similar to the ESPN conversation about like the, the legacy and the impact, I mean, that that changed baseball and, you know, the, the return of the long ball and, and yeah. those home run competitions. And then we got away from it for such a long portion of the mid-2000s there with the arrival of Moneyball and, and 
the transition towards analytics and stuff about you know just getting on base and I'll, I'll be frank I'm I've been a huge fan of the kind of almost flipping again now back towards more 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 velocity mm-hmm. um, coming off the bat and and the value of having a higher slugging percentage and, and guys being able to go out of the yard um, on a nightly basis I mean yeah. uh, just the other night Jose Alte- Altuve three home runs I think it was three <laughs> out of four at bats he hit a home run over the course of two games it was nuts yeah first three at bats and then he had a couple the, the day before I mean he's that guy and he's about what five foot six or something like that he's smaller than i am which is saying something because i'm not a big guy oh no you're you're a stocky man that's no the duke is a stocky guy this comes from uh, the king of fort nasty on our text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. i must be honest i had to google where delburn is laugh out loud but i'm originally from two holes so i can't talk and that's uh from the king of fort nasty where tell our listeners where delburn is again about 25 minutes uh, straight east of Red Deer, Highway 595, formerly known as the Coal Trail, formerly known as the Delburn Road. Um, going way back, my dad tells me that story about every time we drive into Red Deer, of course. Uh, and then if it, Red Deer is about as good of a benchmark as anywhere, but uh, Stetler is another smaller Stettler, town yeah. just on the other side of the river that uh, some people might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to that 1998 Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa uh, batting uh, home run derby kind of thing. So um, I was... Just wrapping up uh, my tenure at CFCN in Calgary, and I came to Edmonton to ITV in about, uh, I think it was September 15th or so, something in there. So this was right when I was working in Calgary. Now, at that time, Lee Trevino and Annika Sornstam came up for kind of a golf exhibition at the Hamptons uh, Golf and Country Club, a very... Uh, private club in Calgary, very uh, uh, ritzy kind of thing. So they brought Trevino, they brought Sorenstam up to do a little golf exhibition with the members. So uh, they invited a few members of the media to come out and talk to them and interview them and and see just to kind of drum up a little bit of interest. So I was lucky enough in uh, 1998 to do a one-on-one with Lee Trevino in uh, in the uh, <clears throat> probably the just a corner of the of the lounge area in the Hamptons, just sat down and talked to him about a number of things. It was about a 15-minute a interview. So we started talking about golf and everything like that. And then for some reason, I ended up talking to him about drugs in sports. But I was talking about performance-enhancing drugs. So I was talking to him about what was going on with Sosa, what was going on with McGuire and the home run uh, derby, if you want to call it that. And, you know, I was expecting him to kind of chime in on what he thought about performance enhancing drugs and things like that. So, you know, he waited for a long question, just like I'm trying to explain this story. And finally, when he answered, he looked at me and he goes, you know what? I've heard that there's some guys on the PGA tour who are smoking that marijuana. And I didn't even know where he was going with this. I was like, oh, man, what have I gotten into here? And then he looks at me and he says, but as I've always said, if you're playing a guy a game of golf that smokes marijuana, you buy that marijuana for him. So back then, you know, you think 25 years ago, uh, it was an interview that I'll never forget, one that I'll always cherish for sure. Uh, Text line 1-833-401-1440. You can email me at Kevin at sports1440.ca. Uh, still with that uh, uh, 1998 uh, uh, Sosa-McGuire Duke, did you uh, did you ever happen to see the Billy Crystal movie 61? Now, 
if you haven't, that's a, that's one you probably should watch. Uh, Billy Crystal, massive New York Yankees fan, massive. So he did a a, a movie about 1961, Roger Maris and um, and uh, Mickey Mantle, but those guys were both in the heat of chasing Babe Ruth's 60 home run record, and they called it the Ghost and everything like that. Uh, great movie, but they start the movie off because of uh, of. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And basically the Maris family followed Mark McGuire around during the tail end of the uh, 1998 season. So I, you, you probably haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen that. I just did a quick searcher. Yeah. It is uh, it is available for streaming, though, uh, on uh, on one of the subscription services that I use very regularly. So I'll have cool. to check that out maybe over the weekend here once I finally get a, a breather <laughs> after all the uh, the hustle and bustle has been the first week on air here. For sure. I'll, I'll bet you anybody you're going to go, hey, this is a great, great movie. Uh, there's a couple of uh, Barry, uh, Barry Peppers in it. Uh, he, I think he plays Roger Maris. Uh, the guy that Thomas Jane might play uh, Mickey Mantle. And a lot of it is, it's great because what Maris had to go through back then was just unreal. No one liked Roger Maris in New York. They didn't like him. They loved Mickey Mantle. They loved Mickey Mantle. So, um, well, Texter comes in, Mickey or Billy Crystal is a massive New York Mets fan. Well, I think he's a little bit of both. That comes from, uh, we don't have a number on that one, but Rockford, pardon me, from Duke Wellington. Oh, he said Duke Wellington yesterday. That's that's where it came up yesterday. Um, so he's, yes, he's a Mets fan, but he's also a Yankees fan. I think he's a little bit of both, but I, I would say he's more of a Yankee fan. Um, check that movie out, 61. It's a, it's a great, uh, not a you know straight documentary, but it tells a lot about how it was back in 1961 when both those guys were chasing uh, Babe Ruth. So uh, we've got a jam-packed show once again uh, for you on the Kevin Carey Show here on the Thursday, September 7th, Sol 3 for us here at Sports 1440. Uh, as mentioned, Dave Scretta from the Associated Press, and he covers the Kansas City Chiefs. He'll join us uh, coming up at 720. Uh, Dave's had a busy couple of days. Just think, you know, between Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, it's been busy for him. Ron Chazowski, uh, he's the uh, sports director of EHC Munich. Now, uh, we tried to get him on yesterday. Uh, he's in Germany, so we had a little problems with the connection, so he'll be ready to roll tonight at 740. As we said off the top, really excited to have our Thursday co-host, Ladislav Schmid, join us from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. So two hours of Laddie, laughs, stories. Uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is that now he's going to kind of be on the other end of the mark, mar, uh, mic when we have On the Mark at 8 o'clock with Mark Spector. Uh, because all these years, Spector's been... You know, maybe he's been talking some smack about Laddie, and Laddie can finally give it back to him. Uh, then our uh, headliner of the day for uh, Mr. Reuter, it will be uh, Frank Saravelli from the Daily Faceoff Show. Laddie and I will kind of carry things uh, through the 9 o'clock hour. And then at 10 o'clock, there's a big announcement coming up at, uh, I believe, 8 o'clock our time, 10 o'clock Eastern. It's a big, big curling announcement that, uh, that will... Uh, it's not a curling announcement. It's a it's an announcement about a curling team, and I'm just going to throw the name out there, and you can figure it out. Maybe put two and two together. Our guest at ten o'clock in studio will be Randy Furby of the Furb Four, uh, six time Briar champ, four time world curling champ. The Furb Four in the uh, early two thousands they were fun to watch. They were fun to cover because they enjoyed what they were doing. 
and they enjoyed their success and they had a lot of it. So we will talk to Randy Furby about that coming up uh, at uh, on the 10 o'clock hour. But uh, we're working on a couple other guests uh, today, but uh, we've got uh, lots coming for you here in the next four hours. Uh, we'll be right back with Dave Scretta from the Associated Press right here on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program, 720 in the Capital Region. little sprinkle coming in. It was 11 degrees on the way to work, probably warming up to a high late Teens today, uh, a couple texts coming into the uh, text line at one eight three three four zero zero one fourteen forty, and just wanted to do this one because, hey, my dad's name is Curtis. He loves the show. Can you please say hi to him? So hi to Curtis. Um, all right, let's get right to it. Uh, our seven twenty guest is Dave Scretta from the Associated Press, covering the Kansas City Chiefs as the NFL season kicks off tonight. The Chiefs, the defending champions, home to the Detroit Lions. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. I can't imagine how busy you've been in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. How tough, how busy has it been for you? Yeah, it's it's definitely a unique opener, uh, for sure. I mean, it, it should be a, a celebration of the Chiefs. They're raising a banner. They're going to have the world's largest tailgate before the game. There should be a lot of excitement. But uh, there's a lot of, uh, I won't even say underlying, I would say smack it in your face anxiety right now around the Chiefs uh, with Chris Jones holding out, with Travis Kelsey's knee injury. Uh, I think fans are more worried than anything uh, heading into the opener. How many friends have reached out to you and said, how is Travis Kelsey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it started pretty much immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the downside is it happens so late and so close to game time that, that it's really hard to get a whole lot of information. Everything that I've been told is it's a, a bone bruise. There's a lot of swelling. Uh, knowing him, he's going to want to play. Knowing that it's the opener and there's a long season and they're going to need him for the long haul, I doubt Andy Reid will let him mm-hmm. play. Um, but it's certainly a, a twist that was thrown in uh, around 3 o'clock on Tuesday. So that was just in practice on, on Tuesday, and was it one of the closed practice where no cameras were involved? Yeah, so we're allowed to see about the first 15 or 20 minutes of practice, and then okay. they, they kind of kick us out. That's kind of the usual. Um, so we were all just in the, you know, those of us covering the team were just all in the work room when Andy came in. Andy Reid came in to do his normal post-practice. Uh, deal and he he said Travis Kelsey hyperextended his knee and uh, didn't say anything else about it was not having any questions um, after that we went into the locker room and he could get bits and pieces from some of the players that that saw it and it, it sounds like it happened in a red zone drill late in practice uh, he walked off on his own which is always a good sign but um, you know that close to a game it's hard to believe he's going to be uh, in shape to play what was that media room like? It must have been able to hear a pin drop. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely uh, something we didn't expect. Um, I think the biggest thing is it's, you know, when you throw in Chris Jones too, you're talking about mm. two of the three most important players for the Chiefs, right? Patrick Mahomes is head and shoulders above everybody else, but then, you know, the next two guys in line, if you're going to order them one to fifty-three, are probably Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. And so I think that's where a lot of anxiety lies right now with the Chiefs. Dave Scretta from the Associated Press, uh, beat writer for the Kansas City Chiefs, joins us now from KC. Um, with Travis Kelsey out, how does that change, and who fills in if he doesn't play tonight at tight end? Yeah, so Noah Gray would be the first up. He's been around for quite a while. Uh, Blake Bell is their other tight end on the active roster. They've got a couple guys on the practice squad they could bring up too, but 
Um, you know, it's, it's not just that the Chiefs would be without a guy that caught 110 passes last season. It's, it's that they're going to be without the guy that also takes a lot of the pressure off the wide receivers. And they're replacing Juju Smith-Schuster. They're replacing Michael Hardman. They've got uh, a couple of guys that are injury-prone, like Kadarius Tony. They've got a couple of guys that just haven't been in the league a long time, like their second-round pick, Rasheed Rice. So really what hurts is the fact that Travis Kelsey isn't going to be taking a lot of attention off of them. And, uh, and so it really puts the pressure on, on the Chiefs' wide receivers more than anything. They have to, uh, they have to step up real quick. So Kadarius Toney is obviously the, the guy that everyone points to. Would you agree with that, and where do you see his role moving forward? Yeah, I was asked earlier in, in training camp who my breakout guy was going to be, and I picked Kadarius Toney, provided he can stay healthy, right, which mm-hmm. he hasn't been able to do. He, he had a, a surgery to repair a torn meniscus in late July. Uh, he had barely practiced at all since then, uh, about a week and a half. Didn't, didn't see any preseason action, so... Uh, he has to be healthy, but when he is, he's dynamic. We saw it in the Super Bowl. He made a couple of big plays against the Eagles. Um, he is a, by far their fastest wide receiver. He's their most explosive. He does a lot of the jet sweeps and things like that. That kind of takes some of the pressure off the downfield passing game. So um, between he and Marquez Valdez-Scanling, uh, the Chiefs are going to need a lot of production. Dave Scretta from the Associated Press, who covers the Kansas City Chiefs, is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440 in the Capital Region. It is 725 right now. You did touch on Chris Jones uh, a little bit off the top, Dave. Um, He spoke to the media yesterday, I understand, in Kansas City, and can you kind of relay where everything is at with, as you say, one of the top three guys on the team? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say that was maybe one of the most bizarre scenes that I have ever seen. Uh, he, he hasn't been in Kansas City basically since the Super Bowl parade. He's been working out in Miami. Um, he showed up kind of out of the blue with his agents in tow for a charity deal at the Ronald McDonald House, which was great. He spent about 90 minutes there talking to kids that were sick and their families. Um, it was very good. And he's always, to his credit, been great with fans. He's always been a very giving guy. Uh, but then I assume it was his agents decided to put a, a microphone in front of him in front of the Ronald McDonald house. And this is the first time any of us have talked to Chris since he began his holdout. And it was just kind of an odd situation where we're, we're talking to this player about a contract holdout and he's due to make $20 million a year already. And he's wanting more money. But then in the backdrop is, is the Ronald McDonald house and the charity and all these families and, uh, it was just a very odd situation, but uh, he basically said, I'm ready to play as long as we get a deal done. And when that happens, is anybody's guess. Like I said, he's under contract for another year, and really the Chiefs could franchise him after that, which would tie him to the Chiefs for two years. So um, it's just a very awkward situation all around. He he said he could be on the field as soon as tonight. I would doubt that even mm-hmm. if they got a deal done somehow, because just knowing Andy Reid, he's not going to put a guy out there that hasn't practiced or or done any work with the team. So um, I think we're going to not see him tonight. And it, it might be several weeks. It might be next week. Right now, who knows? So between, I guess, fines and bonuses that he would have received, that would have been upwards of uh, $3 million. If he misses every game he misses, is about a million. Is that a correct? Yeah, so it's every every game check. So it's almost $1.1 million for each game check. He's already lost a $500,000 workout bonus. He's lost $50,000 for every day he missed in training camp and the mm-hmm. mandatory mini camp over the summer. So 
the fines are, are piling up. And we got into an exchange on, on Twitter, X, whatever we call it these days, uh, with some fans who said, boy, your, your bill is really piling up. And he said, I can afford it. So yeah. uh, if you're saying I can afford it already, I don't know uh, why you're holding out for more money. But, uh, you know, that's his prerogative, I guess. And he did say he would. he's prepared to sit out half a season or about that. Is that correct? Almost, yeah. He, he in, a, in the same kind of Twitter line with, with fans, uh, he said he'd be willing to hold out until week eight. And that's, that's kind uh-huh. of the, the point at which he has to report. Otherwise, he's not going to get a credit for a season. And then he'll be in the same situation next year with the Chiefs still having him under contract for a year. Man, crazy, crazy stuff for sure. Uh, Dave Scretta from the Associated Press, Kansas City Chiefs beat writer, joins us on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Can you touch on the backfield uh, for the Chiefs? Uh, where do you see things shaking down in that sense? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think this is probably the, you know, if you're into fantasy sports, this is probably one of the worst backfields to have on your team because, you never really know game to game who's going to be the guy. Andy Reid has really, in the last few years, become a coach that rides the hot hand. Uh, most of the time last season, it was Isaiah Pacheco. Um, he also missed a good part of training camp. He had shoulder surgery after the Super Bowl. Um, they basically held him out all of the preseason. He, he had one carry in their last preseason game. Uh, but he's their feature back. And then after that, it, it's really strange. Jarek McKinnon is kind of the guy that catches the passes out of the backfield. He came on really strong at the end of last season. He made that big play in the Super Bowl where he downed himself at the one-yard line to basically allow Kansas City to kick the winning field goal. And then you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which is mm-hmm. another real bizarre situation. He's a, a former first-round pick. He's in the last year of his rookie contract. And he's just sort of fallen out of favor here. Um, when he's been good, he's been really good, but he's also a guy that's been prone to injury. So um, who's going to have the big game is anybody's guess. They all have very different skill sets, and I'm sure we're going to see all of them at some point tonight. Kevin Carey, show on Sports 1440. Uh, Dave Scretta from the AP, Chiefs beat writer, joins us now. After the Carey show at 11, of course, is uh, Fantasy Frenzy with the Duke and Connor Halley. And the Duke would like to ask you maybe a little bit of a fantasy question because you did bring it up with that backfield. And we have so many listeners that are into fantasy, just like everywhere. But uh, here's one for you from the Duke. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Brandon Douglas here. You mentioned you, you've touched on the wide receiver situation, the uh, the running back dilemma. And now with Travis Kelsey, all of a sudden fantasy options outside of Patrick Mahomes on the Chiefs are looking slimmer and slimmer uh, as, as good options. But without uh, Chris Jones on the defensive side of the ball, how much value do you put on this Chiefs defense without their their number one leader and, and top athlete out there as a, as a fantasy option? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't think I would put a lot of faith in the Chiefs defense even with Chris Jones out there, so probably probably very little. Um, and it's not just because of the, the Chiefs. You know, you got to look at who they're playing, too. Uh, the Lions last season, I think, were the number four offense, and that was after they came on really strong late in the season. Uh, and now you've added Jameer Gibbs in the first round, a running back, and they signed David Montgomery. Amon Ross St. Brown is, is probably one of the top five wide receivers in the league at this point. So uh, I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, the Chiefs love those, we know. Um, but that doesn't bode well for, for the defenses on either team. 
I would like to get into David Montgomery with you just to grease a couple guys in our fantasy football, but uh, we'll leave that for another time, Dave. But uh, besides, <laughs> besides those guys you mentioned uh, with Detroit, what do you think? Uh, I mean, defensively, uh, the Lions are well, they're they're suspect. Let's be honest. Uh, so, what yeah. would Kansas City try to exploit tonight? I think a lot of downfield passing. Um, I think they're going to try to open up the offense a little bit. Uh, they had a lot of success with that later in the season. What happened to the Chiefs at one point, right around the time they lost to the Buccaneers in the in the Super Bowl, was uh, basically teams said, we're not going to allow that. We're going to play deep shells. We're going to make you complete six, eight, ten-yard passes underneath, slowly march the ball downfield. But give Patrick Mahomes six weeks and six games and he's going to figure out a hole and everything and eventually did and he was back to back to basically tearing up those defenses so um, teams were forced to come back up to the line of scrimmage a little bit and then all of a sudden the Chiefs were airing it out so um, I would look for guys like Marquez Valdez Scanling to have a big game um, all it takes is you know with him three catches he can have 100 yards uh, I think the Chiefs are going to want to force the ball downfield as much as they can um, it's going to depend a lot on Detroit's pass rush. We know they've got really good defensive ends. Aiden Hutchinson's already a star. And the Chiefs have two new offensive tackles that they're breaking in. So I think that's one of the big matchups to watch. Kansas City Chiefs beat writer Dave Scretta from the Associated Press joins us on the Kevin Carey Show here on Sports 1440. Um, when you look at Patrick Mahomes, Dave, sometimes I think that he's 35 years old the amount that he's accomplished. <laughs> Can you, do you ever fathom that when you've been covering this guy for only really four or five years? Um, but just to see where he has come in really a short period of time, basically the face of the franchise and almost the face of the NFL pretty well. He is, yeah. Um, I, you know, I've told other people this too. Like those of us that cover teams, we see first round draft picks coming every year, right? And, and they're all the same. They all come in wide-eyed and eager to help the media eager to interact with fans they're really good guys almost universally but then a lot of times after a couple years then they become you know pro athletes and they're a little better than everybody else or they're um they don't have as much time for the media or for fans uh they just become stars and and it happens and it's natural but patrick is maybe the one guy that Nobody would blink if he did that, and he never has. He's, he's the exact same guy that came in his rookie year. Um, he gives tons of time to, to fans and uh, does everything that's asked of him outside of the football game. And he's really set the tone for the entire team that way. I think the, the locker room is a, a really loose place to be. Everybody gets along. Everybody, for the most part, deals with the media very well. There's never a whole lot of... Um, animosity anywhere and it all comes from Patrick I think he's he's one of the few guys where I felt like even as a rookie he was mature beyond his years and and part of that's come kind of growing up around professional sports his dad was a baseball player he grew up in Mm -hmm. clubhouses so so he sort of gets it and um, I think more than all the touchdown passes and the stats and those are incredible I think the fact that he's never changed since uh, since his rookie year is probably the most remarkable thing and one last one for you, Dave. For those of us that haven't been, what's the atmosphere like at Arrowhead? Uh, it's pretty good. I grew up a Packers fan, actually, <laughs> and I never thought the, the environment could be any better than Green Bay. But it's it's pretty darn close. Um, 
I got a text message from a, a buddy of mine, and it was waiting for me when I woke up. He had driven by the stadium on the way to work, and people were out tailgating at 4.30 this morning <laughs> on the on the roads leading up to the gates. They oh. can't even get into the parking lots for another 10 hours, and they're out there tailgating at 4.30. So uh, it, it's a different animal, that's for sure. Oh, 4.30 in the morning, man. So you just you probably start up the queue, cook something, and move on down the road when, it, when you can get uh, a little more up in the line. Oh, yeah. There, there uh, were tents open. You know, people had those, those tents popped up and were cooking breakfast. And, oh. Uh, they're trying to set a record for the world's largest tailgate pregame, and uh, I think they have. We can start. Oh man, yeah. that, that's exciting! So hopefully you can get into the park tonight. Yeah, you know what? I think everybody's going to show up so early that hopefully I can just kind of slide in right behind them without oh. any traffic problems. Oh, that's great stuff, hey, Dave. Th- thanks so much for your time. I know you're swamped and busy, but enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, you too. Happy uh, start of the season. Yeah, for sure. That's Dave Screta from the Associated Press, uh, Kansas City Chiefs beat writer. Man, that tailgate is going to be insane. It's one of the top tailgating places going uh, in Kansas City. So uh, it is, we're creeping up to uh, 740. It is 737. Uh, when we come back on the Kevin Carrier Show, we will hook up with Dave, or sorry, Ron Chazowski, Dave's his brother, will hook up with Ron Chazowski, sports director at EHC Munich. That's coming up right after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Welcome back to the big program. It is just creeping up on uh, 741 here in Edmonton. 11 degrees when we walked in the door. It's probably 12 right now, but uh, got a text coming in on the text line. It is coming in on one eight three three. 401-1440. Uh, we're just hooking up with uh, Ron Chazowski, and I got a text coming in. It says, grew up with the Chazowski family and Mike Slipchuk. Both drove me to basketball. Laugh out loud. Ron was a great athlete. Dave Youngs, I would imagine that's Dave Youngs from old Ross Shep uh, as we bring in Ron Chazowski from uh, Germany. Ron, how you doing? What's it like over in Germany? Well, I guess this afternoon over there. And, um, yeah, we're doing fine over here uh, this afternoon. The sun is shining. Beauty. And um, after this, going to head over to the rink and uh, do some work with the kids. So you got to Germany out of northern Michigan. You're a St. Albert guy. You went to northern Michigan. And then you ended up playing a little bit of uh, AHL hockey and then a little bit with the uh, national team. But then you went to Germany in the early 90s and you've been there ever since. So tell us a little bit about your your story over there in Germany. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Uh, Back in uh, back in the uh, early 90s, uh, end of the 80s, Dave King was running the Team Canada program out of uh, Father Bonner in, in Calgary, and there was calls coming in all the time for opportunities and needs for players over in Europe. Um, so I uh, took one of those opportunities, came over here, and uh, yeah, 30 years later, ended up staying. Um, played for nine years and uh, coached pro hockey for nine years, and now I've been about 15, 16 years um, working youth program over here. So what is your current job and title and what do you exactly do right now in Munich? Um, yeah, I've been 10 years here now in Munich and uh, I'm the sports director for the uh, youth pro- program with the kids here, which is under the umbrella of Red Bull Munich hockey. Um, it's, it's under the same system as soccer, 
Uh, it would be the example of the Edmonton Oilers having a pro team plus at in their arena. They would have startup hockey right up to junior hockey all under one umbrella. That's and uh, that's how they have it here. Um, there is no draft system. So that means that if you are a member of the Munich youth hockey program and happen to develop properly and you can then stay in your town and play eventually for your pro team. That's well, a, a cool system for sure, and I'm sure it's well thought through. And again, if you have a, a system that equates to soccer and uh, the way that soccer is built, the program's built in Europe, I mean, it's got to be successful. So, uh, Ron, when you went over there and then you started to get into coaching, uh, I did a story on you when I was working at Global. Uh, you had a couple of prize prospects that went on to some big things, one of them pretty big, you would think, uh, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. So you coached Leon when he was a young guy coming up in the ranks of the uh, German national team. Describe when you started that process and what that was like coaching Leon Dreisaitl as a youngster in Germany. I guess he would have been under 15 years old, 16 in that at that time. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I was uh, given an opportunity to get into the national program, and uh, the way it worked is... Um, you would take a born year, work with them under 16, under 17, and be, then be assistant coach for the world under 18 championship. And I was fortunate enough to get the uh, born 95 kids and uh, ended up uh, having uh, Leon as an under 16 player, Oof. under 17. Um, under 18, then he was already in PA. He had left and uh, gone to play in the Western League. Uh, but fortunate for us, PA didn't make the playoffs or they had a short run, which meant he could come back. And uh, we were in Sochi that year uh, at the World Championships and, and had Leon uh, with us for, uh, for the tournament. What was Leon like as a young player to coach? Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, was, he was definitely um, a, a special guy. Um, I mean, like any other like any other 16-year-old kid, when we got him, he had his ups and downs. He had his good days and bad days and, and, and um, you know, working with the kids. Uh, but by under 17, there was a separation. When he was 16 years old, before he went over to play juniors, uh, he was consistently our best player. Um, he was playing with Tommy Cahoon on a line. And the two of them um, were dominating um, the international games, even playing against U.S., Sweden, Canada. And we're starting to turn some heads. And we, we really, really uh, enjoyed having him around and seeing how he, he developed uh, into now a superstar. Ron Chazowski is our guest uh, all the way from Germany, the uh, sports director of EHC. Munich, um, Ron, when you were like at that point when Leon Dreisaitl was was a young young player, could you see that he had the the tools and 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 the the wherewithal and the inner fortitude to get to kind of the player that he has become today? Um, I I mean I would say I I would say questionable just because. Up till that time, uh, there had been, I believe, Marco Sturm and mm-hmm. Uwe Krupp, uh, who had were the only two Germans to make a big impact. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm, 
I'm forgetting someone, but those come to mind to me, first of all. So it wasn't it wasn't like we were looking at every born year and seeing which of these guys is going to be in the NHL. So he um, but as I said, when he was 16 years old, he started showing some special things on the ice. And one thing which he still has today and Leon plays in the NHL like he did um, when he was under 17. Um, he will backhand a pass mm-hmm. anywhere at any time, and it usually ends up on the tape. Um, he controls the puck. He demands the puck. He's always been um, involved in big goals, tying goals, winning goals. That, that's been a constant that, that has not changed, and which is, which is amazing because you see it with kids in junior, but mm-hmm. for it to transfer at the NHL level, um, I think what is something that did something that we really, really noticed. So he could uh, backhand sauce back then as well. <laughs> he would give us fits because they weren't quite perfectionized uh, as they are now. They sometimes landed up in the wrong uh, in the wrong spot uh, on the on the opponent's on the opponent's stick. But I mean, it's development, it's kids. So we are very, very patient, and uh, I'm hoping a little bit of that patience was able to uh, fine-tune what he can do and show now in the NHL. Oh, pretty cool. I had to just step away and get to the door uh, and let Ladislav Schmid in. He's our uh, co-host from oh. 8 to 10, so we'll be coming up with Laddie at the top of the hour. He's trying to get it in the in the studio here. Um, so what would you say the state of hockey in Germany is now and how much has it grown since you got there, I guess, um, well, 30 years ago? What's the growth been of hockey in Germany um yeah over the 30 years it's it's enorm it's Mm -hmm. enorm it's um I think the biggest impact uh, that that I've seen over the years is um how many German players um are going to North America uh Sweden Finland to further develop their skills and uh, be involved at uh, world-class hockey and junior level. And that's transferring back to, uh, to the national program. And um, I think the, who would have been the, the, one of the last players, um, good Moritz Sider came over and played a year in the, um, in the farm team. Uh, Stutzli transferred right over. Um, but there's, there's constantly German players. I think that's been the difference that has uh, evolved the program and these players end up coming back and pushing up the level of hockey. And, and with the players that we have over there now, um, these are, these are the heroes for the kids over here. And that, and that's definitely impacting hockey. Oh, it has to be for sure. Uh, has enrollment increased as you've seen, I guess, in the last couple of years, just because of uh, in particularly the success of Leon Dreisaitl? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely that, um, that, uh, hockey is, I mean, he's a, um, he's a world-class name, um, in, in the sport of hockey and, and that has made its way back here, even though, even in a, um, soccer cultured country that, um, that Leon has made an, an impact, uh, especially in the, in the cities and towns where, where there's big hockey interest, and um, you can see that kids wearing uh, Dreisaitl, uh, Oilers uh, merch 
um, all over in the rinks. And uh, I think that's wonderful. Are you, are you, would it be safe to say that the Oilers would be the number one team followed in Germany? I mean, I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm biased, but, but I would say, I, I would say yes. Right. As of right now, maybe, maybe Detroit or Ottawa um, might come along sometime, but right now, 100%, the, the, uh, the favorite team uh, for uh, the country of Germany and the hockey culture and the hockey world here is hundred percent Edmonton Oilers. Uh, can you mention just one more story regarding Leon when you were coaching him? And that's a story that I kind of did when I was at global, you had, self-evaluation I guess just little pamphlets handed out to each player and you had sent me these that Leon had written as a 16 year old I guess so um, what did you when you brought those out of the the old filing cabinet when you looked at them what did you think of them and uh, you know looking at them you know many years later Um, yeah that was as we had talked before that was really really interesting um, taking them out uh, almost 15 yeah. 15 years later, 10 years later, I guess it would be somewhere around there. And um, the interesting thing that stuck out was that Leo Leon was at that time as a, as a 16 and 15 year old already critical of himself and questioning mm-hmm. um, that or putting in question and very much putting thought into uh, where he needs to get better. And he was already back then pushing himself and had high expectations of of himself. And I I think that uh, over the years, um, that attitude and that mindset has not changed. And and we saw him within the last, even though he when he came became an oiler, he he was still pushing himself to improve. Ron that, that, that mindset started a long time ago. Yeah, for sure. Ron Chazowski is our guest uh, all the way from uh, Germany. Uh, thanks for coming in, Ron, uh, and doing this. Just a couple quick ones for you. What is the, I guess, what's on the slate? What's on the plate coming up for like EHC Munich uh, in the next months as hockey season picks up here? Um, well, we will um, we'll start up our season with the kids. It's coming right around the corner here. Everything in Europe starts up a little bit sooner. We've been okay. we've been um, on the ice in August, and um, and getting the kids ready. Uh, I think the biggest thing is we're a good year away from um, moving into a wonderful facility that Red Bull Munich is building. Uh, a big arena where the FC Bayern basketball will also play with a three rink uh, training facility for, for the youth program for us. So that's, that's something that's about 12 months away and we're really, really excited about it. And we got a text coming in from Harry. He wants to know about Don Jackson. We talked about it on the phone the other day. So <laughs> what, what about Don Jackson over there? Don Jackson is a legend here in mm-hmm. Munich. Um, he came here and took over the, uh, the head coaching position for Red Bull Munich after a couple of years that they'd been in the league um, and won one championship after another. Uh, he ended up winning a championship again last year and retired and has taken over a consulting position. I spent many, many um, hours with Don in his office mm-hmm. talking hockey, and especially I always like to bend the, uh, the topic to the 80 Oilers. I tried to squeeze out as many stories I could from him. It was always a lot of fun talking about those times with him. And a text coming in from Kevin Sturzer. Says hi from the old Otwell days. Yes, yes. Otwell hockey and Otwell rink. Boy, 
Good oh. times. We uh, spent many hours on well, the road and on the rink. Hey, Ron, thanks for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate your time. And we're going to do it again over the course of the year just to kind of see how things are going over in Germany. Uh, your mom and dad, are, are no, I know they're listening in St. Albert and, and great people, and I really enjoy every time I, I talk to them and, and talk to you. So, appreciate that. Um, great to uh, be a part and get a chance to uh, get on this this new um, gig that you have and uh, good luck to you and we'll stay in touch All thanks right. for having me thanks Ron that's Ron Chazowski uh, sports director at EHC Munich uh, time now for a sports update brought to you by first round you can wear an NFL jersey tonight to the West Edmonton Mall location and get 50% off wings here is the Duke <laughs> 